Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And good morning. You are on Dirt Radio with Jack and Sam. Welcome to a beautiful day in Melbourne. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to be talking with Friends of the Earth Campaigns Coordinator, Cam Walker, uh, about a very beautiful and special place called the Little Dalgo River. Back in 2019-2020 in the summer of fires, there was a huge amount of northeastern Victoria that was burnt. Uh, that means that, of course, the unburnt forest remains more important than ever. Uh, one of these areas lies at the headwaters of the Little Dalgo River, just south of Mount Hotham. It's a pristine area without roads and containing mature forest, and much of it is dominated by alpine ash. It's an area of the state forest that lies right next to an alpine national park. However, the state... Uh, government's logging agency, Vic Forest, intends to log a total of 11 coops or sections of mature forest in the upper Little Dago River. Uh, probably sometime this year, these coops are located in a series of clusters and where separate sections of bush, bush will be harvested, uh, they're creating a large zone of cleared land over time. Of course, this is going to degradate uh, a large amount of the area. In April, Friends of the Earth organised a community walk to visit the Upper Little Dago so people could see for themselves about how special this place is and why it's so important um, to protect what's left. So uh, today we're going to talk to Cam Walker, who was part of that community walk to visit the Upper Little Dago. And for those of you that know Cam Walker and his obsession with mountains and snow, of course, he's up around that way all the time. Cam Walker, are you with us? I am. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Cam. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, So, Cam, tell us about why you took community up to Little Dargo and, and I guess why it's important and what you discovered up there. Yes, so probably a couple of years ago we realised that there's a big chunk of eastern Victoria which isn't really looked after closely in terms of forest campaigning. We know there's amazing campaigns, there's well over a dozen groups in the central highlands, so in that area, you know, around King Lake, Hillsville, Warburton. There's groups like Goongra Environment Centre or Gecko in East Gippsland that do an amazing job out in the far east beyond the Snowy River. But there's a big chunk of Victoria in Gippsland and northeast uh, Victoria which has very little campaign activity. So we started to look around. We did find the groups that are doing some work out there, Gippsland Environment Group, Friends of Bats and Habitat and a few other organisations like that. And we realised there's a lot of area being logged and uh, some of that is salvage logging after the fires of 2019-20, but there's also logging underway and logging that's proposed of areas that have not been burnt. And as you said in the intro, uh, the Little Dago River is one of those areas. 
we wanted to take people up to see it because it is kind of out of sight. There's no roads in there. There isn't even a track in there. We've recently reopened what used to be called the Mailman's Track, which was uh, back in the early 1900s. There was uh, a young boy called Harry who used to uh, ride for probably four or five days and deliver the mail through those mountains to the gold miners. So we've reopened the mail or a section of the Mailman's Track and we walked uh, probably 30 people in towards the river for them to have a look and see what's so special and what's at risk. So you were saying um, this is the first time that people have walked into the upper catchment since the early 1900s? Yes. That's At the first group wild. in about 100 years, yep. And can you explain to us, Cam, how does the logging around that area um, affect uh, affect water catchment around that area? Is there any connect- connection also? I could see on Friends of the Earth website that you were talking about the fact that it has a catchment area. Does that mean it has a catchment area into drinking water or water supplies? Those headwaters of all those mountains up there uh, on the south side, obviously, they flow into the Gippsland lakes. Now, people may be aware there's a terrible blue-green algae uh, infestation in the Gippsland Lakes at present, and often that's caused by excess nutrients. And logging often increases sediment, uh, so it makes water much more turbid, makes it dirty, and that impacts on the life um, in those rivers. We know that there's what is quite likely a subspecies of a native fish up in the Little Dargo River, which potentially exists nowhere else on the planet. It's a type of galaxis, a really small fish. It's special in that there are no trout in this river, so that's one of the reasons it's really important. But, yeah, all these mountain catchments flow to the south and they go into things like the Mitchell River, which is really important for agriculture. Um, we've got a huge food bowl on those really good kind of riverine plains in East Gippsland and these rivers flow through there. They provide really good quality water for fruit and vegetables, particularly vegetables, but then they go into the Gippsland lakes. So our argument would be that this, as a pristine, as an unroaded catchment, it becomes a kind of, you know, a, a test for what healthy ecosystems should look like and it should be retained in an un, unroaded state. And, Cam, what was it like going up through there? Were you going through areas that were burnt before you got to the Dargo? Um, I know that, you know, there's still a lot of recovery both for for flora and fauna um, from the summer of fires. Uh, Did you see any of the recovering areas from the fires as you headed that way? Yes, there's only two roads in, one from the south via the town of Dargo and from the north from Bright and Myrtleford. Both ways, uh, particularly from the south, what you see is a huge amount of logging. If you're coming from the north, um, you just see endless burnt forests. So this is what climate change looks like. Um, this is forests that don't mind a fire, but they don't like a fire very often. And what's happening is we're getting more and more frequent fires. The situation is so bad that in 2013, the Victorian government initiated an aerial seeding program, and that's to make sure that the alpine ash forests don't actually collapse. Uh, that is, basically stop functioning as communities. The snow gum forests that are up higher, they're all, well, not all of them, but a lot of them are dying because they're getting more frequent fires. So they don't mind a fire and then they'll recover, but if you get another fire, it will knock the tree back and it will kill the seedlings that become established. So all 
so much of these areas are in recovery. We know that more than 90% of the snow gum forests have been burnt in wildfires um, at least once in the last 20 years. Some of, the, some of those areas have been burnt two, three or four times and, you know, in those locations the, the snow gum communities are actually collapsing, that is they're dying and they're turning to kind of grass and shrubs where there used to be woodland. The alpine ash have been lost to scrub and grass um, kind of wastelands as well. So climate change is underway and it is actually pretty disturbing when you drive up through any of those mountain areas you just see you know whole valleys full of grey dead trees and you get really thick regrowth where you don't get fire and where you get that regrowth it's incredibly flammable so if you get another fire through there it just you know goes off like a rocket and burns to the ground and then you've got to start again with those forests. And I guess if the fires and other climate disasters are happening more frequently uh there's just no opportunity for trees to regrow. It's it's this crazy thing where people think that after a fire, everything just bounces back. And, um, of course, as you've been pointing out, that's not possible. I guess the question is, if there's so little precious forest left in Victoria, uh, what is the Victorian government doing? You know, um, wh- why are we still logging in these precious areas? Well, that's a good question. Um, we know that a lot of the timber in these forests, it is older forest. It may not all meet the government's criteria of what's called old growth, but it is older forest. It's had old fires through it in the past, but no recent fires. But, you know, to be realistic, a lot of these trees will end up as pulp. So they'll be used once in paper. You know, they might be used for low-quality timber, but most of it won't be sawn timber that's, you know, going to end up in housing, framing or furniture or anything like that. So we're destroying really precious areas for very little benefit. And we do know that the Victorian taxpayer does subsidise Vic Forest, and that has been going on for many years. So you and I as taxpayers are paying for the destruction of these forests. And this particular one, the Little Dargo, is so important because it's in this very deep valley and what happens is you get the fires on the tablelands above it, but when they go down into the valley, the fires kind of peter out. So it's a real refuge. It's kind of hard to overstate how significant this place is. If you have driven up in that high country, you know how much of it has been burnt. So it's very, very precious. It's got these openly spaced forests on one side. It's what are called mountain gums, which are very big, graceful, uh, open space trees. Uh, on the other side, it's got alpine ash, which are those very straight kind of ash trees, traditionally really good for timber and really coveted by the timber industry, but it's on very steep slopes, which means you're going to get a lot of erosion when they cut it. And this whole catchment at present is intact, and that's the other thing to stress. Once you put a road through it, you're going to get weeds in there, It's an incredibly uh, kind of robust ecosystem. It doesn't have a whole lot of weeds at this point. You know, down on the river flats where you'd expect to see blackberries, you might see native brambles, but not much in the way of blackberries. There's nothing obvious that's been introduced there. So it is very, very precious in the overall kind of context of the Victorian mountains. And it's part of a much bigger story. So uh, in the timber release plan that was put out earlier this year, green groups like Friends of the Earth identified 80 areas that are going to be logged, including the 10 in the Little Dargo, um, that we thought were too precious to consider logging. So that's the scale of the logging that's underway still across the east of Victoria. Cam, we're going to take a, a quick break. Stay on the line. We'll be back shortly to continue talking with Cam Walker about uh, Vic Forest logging, uh, planned logging in Little Dargo River and, wow, another 80 coops as well. Stay on the line, please, Cam.
Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Naro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. You're on Dirt Radio with Sam and Jack and we've been talking and are still talking with Cam Walker, uh, Friends of the Earth Campaigns Coordinator. We've been talking particularly today about uh, the Little Dargo River, an area of forest that is way too precious to log. Cam, I guess I'm really curious to understand uh, and for people out there to understand, obviously on social media, uh, often see people criticising Vic Forest's practice. Uh, For people out there that don't actually understand what Vic Forest is. Could you please explain to it? Because it it kind of is slightly complex for the average person just watching from afar. Yes, it is. So it's actually a state government authority which is responsible for logging on public lands in Victoria. So um, private contractors basically bid in to log the trees once Vic Forest has decided what areas will be logged. And then Vic Forest uh, is technically responsible for making sure that surveys happen to make sure there's no, for instance, endangered or threatened species uh, in those coops that are going to be cut or old-growth forests, um, and then responsible for making sure that they're revegetated after they have been logged and then they're handed back, in effect, um, to be managed by the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. Um, the criticism, of course, is always that what we have in Victoria, many people describe as a pulp and timber industry rather than a timber industry. So a huge amount of the trees that we cut down end up feeding the Maryvale pulp mill. Um, and the argument would go, well, we've got all these other things that can produce fibre uh, for paper you know, and pulp. We've got uh, bamboo, we've got bagasse, we've got... Um, hemp, uh, industrial scale hemp, we've got all these things, we've got plantations, so why are we cutting down forests that might be 70 years old or even 100 years old or older? And and that's a key criticism, is that we have a pulp-driven industry. Uh, And it probably made sense when we had vast areas of forest. Now with climate change and now with population pressures, you know, the, the world is a lot smaller. We just don't have the space that we used to have, and so we need to get much smarter at how we meet our needs. And we do need paper, but we should be getting it from agricultural processes, not from logging native forests. And then there's another angle to this, which is there's a lot of research, and often people know the work of David Lindemeyer, which says that logged forests become more flammable. So what we need to do is be getting our forests to be less flammable, and when they're old, when they're in that senescence phase, in the old growth phase, they're actually less flammable, and that's because the understory kind of things out and you get less uh, ladder opportunities for fire to go up into the canopy. So what logging does is keep hitting the reset button on our forest so they're young again and they're very flammable for the first couple of decades. So the fact that it's about pulp largely, the fact that we subsidise it as taxpayers, the fact that you know on a drying and, and warming planet we shouldn't be cutting these forests and making them more flammable 
they're unlike the coalition, they've committed to that, which is good, but environmentalists are very clear that 2030 is too far away and we need to bring that closure date forward. And what that means is we need a transition plan for the people, particularly not just the contractors uh, that are cutting the trees in the forest and, and, and the people that are making the roads, but the people that work in the pulp mill in the or on the edge of the Latrobe Valley. So it's essential we have a social justice response to the closure of the industry, but we really need to get on with it. Yeah, that's a, you read my mind. That's where I was going. Uh, it seems to me that Victoria and the Victorian government has uh, been... Progressive and thanks to groups like Friends of the Earth uh, keeping the pressure on uh, around renewable energy and just transition for the coal sector. I'm just curious as to why the government, you know, doesn't see the value of forests in the same way. Um, surely the, the, the industry is, you know, uh, not so uh, lucrative and huge that, that it uh, employs substantial amounts of people. And I'm wondering why this hasn't been factored into uh, the Victorian government's progressive attitude, for example, towards renewable energy, why forest is still this laggard. And I think the second question is, if Vic Forest is responsible for tracking uh, endangered or threatened species, uh, I think groups, uh, environmental groups have shown over and over again through citizen science that they're not doing that very effectively. And I guess the question is, is there any reason why they seem unable to track endangered species in the same way that uh, activists and environmentalists can? So it always comes down to resourcing, of course, and the ability to get out into all those dozens and dozens of coops. And um, we do have a, a regulator here called the OCR, the Office of the Conservation Regulator, which is meant to oversee the activities of things like big forests. Um, but citizen science, as you say, is just essential, you know, and work groups like Watch, the Wildlife of the Central Highlands and Goongar Environment Centre, there's so many groups that do this absolutely essential work uh, and then they challenge um, where there haven't been sufficient surveys done before logging and they take it to the courts and Environmental Justice Australia often uh, represents those interests in the courts. That citizen science work is just absolutely essential. We also need more uh, resources for the regulators to make sure that all the coops are surveyed rather than just kind of assess through desktop modelling. Um, but really what we have is a dilemma in that we do have commitments through to 2024 for supply of timber, so I understand that is an issue. We also have uh, several thousand people employed in the pulp mill, and that is an, you know, an issue for a place like the Little Troy Valley, which is undergoing transition. The Hayeswood Power Station closed a couple of years ago. The remaining three power stations will close in coming years. You know, it is in a time of transition. So I understand the need to be concerned about what happens to those jobs. For the contractors that actually work in the forest, we're going to need to keep fighting with for, uh, forest fires. And often we rely on the contractors who have heavy equipment to be involved in that firefighting. So we need to make sure that there is work for them and it needs to be ongoing and it needs to be secure. So that's a job for the government. We're going to need people working in forest management because these forests which have been logged and logged and logged for so many decades actually need to recover and in some instances we're going to need to help with that. And as we stop logging, 
tourism will continue to grow, so there's a bunch of jobs in those sectors as well. And we do need to produce timber, so that's where the plantations and the agroforestry comes into the mix. So there will be more jobs than there are at present. But of course, when you start to talk about transition, people that have jobs in the sector always get nervous. And I understand that fully because often, you know, think about when our car industry closed down because of government decision making. So many people just, you know, throwing on the trash heap and just, you know, didn't get support and ended up unemployed or had to fend for themselves. So I understand that transition discussions invoke fear in workers in those sectors, but that's why we really need government leadership and we really need unions to get on board as well. And in this instance, that includes the timber industry, which sits within the CFMEU, and they really need to accept the writing on the wall and actually facilitate the transition so they can keep members but also keep their members' jobs. I think it's a really beautiful idea to think about a transition for loggers uh, than to be working with firefighters in terms of protecting and defending uh, these precious places uh, as part of a transition that really appeals <laughs> to my senses to to imagine, you know, that, that people that once were logging forests are now helping to renew and rejuvenate and protect uh, through forest management and uh, environmental management plans. Cam Walker, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. I know you're an extremely busy person and, of course, there's an election around the corner. Uh, so I uh, would like to uh, just get you to tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about this and what they can do uh, to support uh, stopping and uh, logging and saving the Little Dargo River area. It would be great if people would just do a web search for Friends of the Earth, Little Dargo River. It'll, it'll come up very easily with a bunch of articles. In there, you'll find the contact details for the Environment Minister. It would be great if you would ring her office up and just leave a message and say you're really concerned about the Little Dargo. It's a really precious area. It hasn't been burnt. It's old-growth forest, and it needs to be pulled off the timber release plan. That would have a great deal of impact. Just leave a short, polite message. You can email her as well, and you'll find all those details on the Friends of Earth Melbourne website. Thanks, Cam Walker, and thanks for all the work you do to protect what's left of our precious wildlife and uh forests and also uh, thank you also for being a firefighter and uh, really being on the front line of uh, climate disaster in this country. Thanks Sam, good to have a chat. Thanks Cam, you're listening to Dirt Radio with Sam and Jack. We're going to take a quick break, come back and wrap up and we will put links to some of the uh, articles and petition details etc that Cam was referring to. You're on Dirt Radio 3CR. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's sure know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, flap your ears. What? Who the hell is that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. Flap your ears. Get out. Get the hell out of here now. Flap 
And you are back on Dirt Radio. Uh, so, Jack, we've just uh, got a little bit of time to cover a few things off and also let people know what events are coming up around Friends of the Earth. Uh, but first, I just wanted to say to the listeners listening last week, we had a bit of an emergency interruption because there was uh, imminent deportations from MITRE, one of the refugee uh, prison camps here on shore of um, a bunch of what are known as 501s, so people who have been convicted and served their time for whatever offence they've done um, but are not actual uh, citizens, so mainly New Zealand uh, uh, residents. Uh, and there was apparently also three refugees who they eventually took off the bus. Uh, so I just wanted to thank people for all of the support online and for coming out to MITRE. Uh, we ended up being there for eight or nine hours and ultimately the only way the police were able to facilitate these uh, terrible deportations to danger uh, was to basically beat and pepper spray those of us that were there to get us out of the way of the bus. Uh, Vic Pohl's behaviour was incredibly shameful and violent uh, and, you know, the the socialists, candidates and uh, Green Senator Lydia Thorpe came down. There's been a lot of uh, commentary online about Lydia's behaviour but I, I think what people need to understand is that Lydia was there watching them beat women, punch women uh, and queer community members, gender diverse community members uh, who were simply there standing up for human rights and uh, so, yeah, I, I think the commentary on Twitter has been uh, hijacked by the far right uh, to attack the Greens and uh, Lydia Thorpe. And, in fact, Lydia was there just bearing witness to, you know, what was going on and, and saw the aftermath and, in fact, helped us in treating people who had been pepper sprayed. So, yeah, it was it was a hard day and it won't be the last one. Deportations, as we like to say, do equal often danger or death. Uh, and many of the 501s that are now on Christmas Island, they've grown up in Australia. They don't have any family in New Zealand. They have lived their lives here uh, and this practice – uh, is really abhorrent even for people that have served time for crimes and, you know, hey, abolish prisons. Yeah, <laughs> what the hell? Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're supposed so. to be have served your time yeah. and then you're out and, you know, under Peter Dutton's watch in Home Affairs, it just became an excuse to be able to uh, strip citizenry, which is incredibly dangerous and scary. And, yeah, so thank you everyone that came out. Uh, what's coming up, Jack? Do you want to know what's going on at Foe? Yes, please. Okay, so tonight at 6.30 online or in person, we have 10 Steps to Personal Resilience and Empowerment in Chaotic Climate. So this is part of uh, an ongoing series of workshops we've been running with Liz Wade around climate grief and how to build more resilient communities you can check it out on our website. There's a Nuclear Free Collective meeting happening uh, Wednesday, which is tomorrow. Uh, and you can get online on Thursday the 19th of May for a volunteer new volunteer session. If you'd like to sign up, you can go to our website, melbournefo.org.au, check out the events page or sign up to be a volunteer or donate or become a member, better yet, and get involved in a collective and a campaign. 
also, don't forget that if you are not a 3CR subscriber, what should you do, Jack? should be subscribing right now. It's the right first now. Right Unless now. Unless you're driving. Unless you're driving. Pull over and then subscribe. <laughs> or riding a bike. Yes. That can also be dangerous and probably a crime. <laughs> uh, you have been listening to Jack and Sam on Dirt Radio, uh, Friends of the Earth Melbourne uh, show, Digging into the Dirt of Environmental Activism and Social Justice. And, of course, we are right here on 3CR. Uh, who's coming up next, Chad? Um, Billabong Beats. Billabong Beats, I believe, is always that's following it. us. Uh, always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just had to question myself, that's all. <laughs> uh, thanks for supporting Radical Radio and Radical Grassroots Environmental Organisations. Sign up, get involved, uh, and use your vote wisely. Yeah, thank you. See you, Jack. This is our president. Oh, yeah, bitch, you're gonna drop on you. I said, and when it drops, 